0: Welcome to the Why on Earth community podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. And today we're visiting with a good buddy of mine, Nick DiDomenico, the founder of Elk Run Farm and the co-founder of Drylands Agroecology Research. Hey, Nick, how you doing, man?
1: Hey, doing pretty good. Hello, everybody. Glad to be on with you.
0: Yeah, likewise, man. I'm, I'm psyched to have this chat with you today. And we've got so much to chat about with respect to the work you're doing in the regenerative agriculture and regenerative culture movements. And uh, yeah, just really looking forward to being able to share your story with our audience.
1: Heck yeah, appreciate it, Ian. Right on.
0: Hailing from the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Nick is a regenerative designer, farmer, and builder. Inspired by indigenous culture and ancient farming practices, he works passionately to design the future of living systems. In 2015, Nick began farming on a barren and desertified 14-acre parcel of land in rural North Boulder County, which is where we are currently, now called Elk Run Farm. Also, this is the pilot research project for Drylands Agroecology Research, or DAR. Today, Nick is working to develop climate change solutions through regenerative farming, working with private and public landowners across Boulder County. And so Nick, we, uh, have uh, a deep connection, obviously, with why on earth having headquarters here at Elk Run Farm and mm-hmm. us uh, living in community together these last couple of years, which has just been a, an extraordinary experience. And uh, it's, to me, remarkable to witness all that is unfolding here on this property under your leadership. And what's, what's really amazing is that we're sitting in a, in a beautiful, lush, abundant garden but that this was truly a a really barren and and beat down uh, land not too many years ago. And I was wondering to kick things off, could you could you describe for us you know what this place was like when when you first got here?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So this was a rental property for many years. Uh, It appeared as though there had been cattle management many years before that there was some old infrastructure like a cattle chute behind that was all kind of falling over and most likely pretty overgrazed by cattle for years before and as far as we know nobody had ever tried to grow crops here Um, there's not ditch rights here so the water situation is pretty minimal so it wasn't really looked at as an agricultural property Um, my family acquired the land originally just to restore some of the buildings and fix it up and i decided to start farming here and it was been it's been like a beautiful experimentation of how to use regenerative agriculture practices and especially design intensive like thoughtful holistic design to build systems that would restore the land Um, and that was really my inspiration to come here to do that And the bottom five acres was completely desertified. There was no topsoil, no vegetation. There was a large colony of prairie dogs, which is kind of a controversial issue in Boulder County where we are. Um, But really the prairie dogs and that damaged ecosystem was just like a representation of what's possible in Boulder County, what's happening on a lot of different parcels of land too. Something not very uncommon around here. Um, and we started using different practices. Uh, I have brought NRCS out in 2015. What's That's the, the uh, natural, natural Resource Conservation Services yeah. a par- a Department of the USDA. Started uh, after the Dust Bowl in the 1930s to help farmers and ranchers conserve resources on land in America. And, you know, originally I asked them, hey, I showed them around, showed them the different conditions of the site, asked them what kinds of conservation practices should I use? I'm a beginning farmer, really excited to grow here, really excited to run livestock. And they basically said, you know, we don't have a lot for you. We don't have a lot of practices that can actually repair this land. We think it's better if you go farm somewhere else. So that was a little disheartening at the time, but it really stoked this inspiration to develop these different practices that we're using now I suppose successfully you know it's mm-hmm. been been some years now seven years since i moved here and a lot of beauty has occurred a lot of community has now joined us here in what we're doing and we're able to feed a lot of people off this land that was considered marginalized was considered you know useless for agriculture by by common understanding until we began working it so that's just a little bit of the background i'd say
0: yeah yeah it's really and, and look i not only is this desertification happening in in this specific area boulder county uh next to the rocky mountains in colorado but this is happening all around the world in many different situations and localities and so you know from from my perspective much of what you're doing here is not only applicable right here in boulder county and in the semi-arid rocky mountain west but really in in places all around the the world and i know you're increasingly connecting with folks um in other regions of the planet and uh i'm so excited to know that there's more and more collaboration getting underway there but uh before we kind of talk about this global context uh tell me like what are what are you growing here i mean i i, I know i get to see this so often in the mm, yeah but by the way the soil itself is this amazing almost pulsing rich dark chocolate cake fluffy soil now and it cool. wasn't like that a few years ago right so so yeah <clears throat> d- maybe describe for us what's what's being grown here and uh, you know plants and animals
1: yeah definitely so we're sitting here in the forest garden which we always saw as like the nucleus of the property I thought of it in this kind of way like if we could bring fertility and an ecosystem into the nucleus that would spread throughout the property and so that's really where we begun working really with this forest ecology model in mind. So dug this forest garden, dug the contour swales that now collect the gray water and the rainwater from the house and begun planting perennial crops. So different fruiting and berry crops that create this natural ecosystem and then planting it with other um, beneficial plants, uh, flowers and other plants that uh, bring bugs that work against the other pests and things like that. But basically we're growing fruit crops as the overstory in this forest garden and then while uh, the canopy is developing we're growing vegetable crops sort of in the alleys between the contour swales and that's helping to build soil using these no-till gardening practices that we're using so all the vegetables that we grow on this property are in this forest garden here and then we are also uh, growing staple grain crops so mostly bioregional crops Um, I originally got those seeds from Rich Pecoraro of Masa Seed Foundation, one of the elder seed farmers and and seed libraries in this area, and got from him some of the most drought-tolerant grains that that he knew of, and especially the Southwest um, traditional foods, really. Uh, So blue corn, amaranth, and dry beans. We uh, tested a couple different varieties and then settled on hopi black beans and then we've been breeding his chihuahua blue. So those are all in breeding trials and grown in drylands fields just a little bit south of here. And then there's uh, rows of contour swales in between those fields also that create these moist microclimates and hedgerows to block wind. And then at the same time we are raising sheep on pasture in regenerative systems and then The pigs really were a major force here for a long time. And now our our pig herds are on other properties, which is pretty cool. We use the pigs to build a lot of soil and to prepare the ecosystems for later planting, which was really neat. Just utilizing this concept that um, directing livestock to certain areas with certain goals in mind of ours to transition the ecosystems into more fertile places for growing. So pigs were used for a lot of that and then we have chickens for eggs and mobile coops. And then we have ducks that hang out in the ponds. Um, and then deer and elk come through the property, which is pretty neat as well. Um, and then at the same time, we've been able to establish over a thousand fruit and useful trees in the dryland systems um, as a way to create ecosystemic resilience, uh, to create food and habitat for livestock. It's been really beautiful to see that. That's I think one of our claims to fame, I suppose, is The thousand trees that have been established without supplemental irrigation and so at the same time we're breeding those drought tolerant uh, silvopasture and agroforestry crops for use on other projects as we continue to grow and expand which is pretty neat too and i think it's important just to mention that this site has really been an experimentation site for a long time and now a demonstration of these drylands restoration techniques using agroecology as an overarching concept and especially nestled in holistic design methodologies.
0: Yeah, it's so great. Like not only is the forest garden here a nucleus for this farm, uh, really Elk Run as a demonstration has become a nucleus in a broader ecosystem here with a number of other farms and properties and even some public lands where you're now doing this regenerative work Mm -hmm. over a lot of additional acreage. Right. And so uh, th- there's this great ecosystem, community ecosystem of other farmers and other stakeholders who you, you've really helped anchor and uh, catalyze what is really a movement occurring here in this part of the county now. And wow. and I, I'm wondering, you know, if you might share with us a little bit about what what's that like for you as you're going to other sites and working with other landscapes and uh, dreaming, envisioning and designing what's possible on these other properties.
1: Yeah, it's been really cool. So it's been three or four years now since some landowners began kind of knocking on our door. Intrigued at least and sometimes impressed by what we've been able to create with such little water. I mean, just for context too, all the water for this property comes from a 40 foot deep well often runs dry as Aaron knows too. sometimes we go to turn on sink water shower water and nothing nothing comes out irrigated a little too much the night before you know so there's been a lot of boundaries challenges like uh, restrictions on this property and so it's been really amazing getting to design bigger systems on bigger properties sometimes with irrigation. You know, at times people come to us and want to develop regenerative patterning, right? So build systems where regenerative farming can plug into quickly and easily that really models natural ecosystems. And so that's been super fun. And then just starting to get into this world of, okay, the city and the county or different landowners have these parcels of land. that are incredibly dry, incredibly barren, can't be leased for agriculture, can't be used in any agricultural models that are commonplace in this area right now. And so just being able to pioneer these new systems uh, and di- like starting with design and then implementation of systems that continuously upgrade the land, even if there aren't people tending and managing the land. But then, of course, in, like very strongly stoked by management, especially livestock. So really following in the footsteps of A- A- Alan Savory's models and using holistic management and regenerative uh, rotational grazing patterns to restore land. And that's been really exciting, too. And just really again with this concept that the trees and the shrubs anchor the ecosystem so building perennial systems that can support pollinators and uh, support wildlife like birds and just create these thriving thriving agricultural ecosystems that continuously produce more and more food every year so that's been really cool And, and our dream is to see all of Boulder County utilizing regeneratively grown meat that's sinking carbon every year that's continuously building ecosystems and demonstrating how using these practices we can actually reverse desertification over large acreage just by using these design methodologies with the plantings the contour swales to collect store and distribute water and I think that's something important to talk about too that really sets us apart from most too is just using holistic um, water management strategies, especially terraforming to collect and store moisture, which creates uh, soil conditions viable for planting trees where otherwise that wouldn't be possible. And then a lot of the patterning that we use is in these contour systems. So then running the livestock through contour alleys and building soil fertility using the livestock, um, and then cropping thereafter where it's appropriate. And it's been really cool. We have some. Bigger partners locally, all of our pigs right now are at Metacarbon Organic Farm, which is just across the street. So it's pretty fun if you go to the top of our hill, you can look over and see beyond our gates, beyond our contour swales and trees in the distance, another 10 or so acres of contour swales at Metacarbon. And our pigs are over there preparing a dry pasture field that uh, Hardy, our partner, wants to turn into vegetable production. So just these really low input, systems that will eventually grow a lot of veg which is really neat too and then using the livestock integration interseasonally to clear and fertilize the fields which is really neat so that's limiting tractor use limiting uh, carbon carbon output Um, and then over at yellow barn farm another big partner of ours we just got big grant funding to design the back 60 acres of that property so the next really large drylands pasture demonstration there this idea that silvopasture is the concept of of planting trees within pastures or in more uh, wet areas turning woodlands into silvopastures by thinning trees but in this area for us it's really like planting trees within pasture um, to create food and habitat for livestock and really anchor the ecosystems like i've been saying so it's been really cool just being watching the patterns grow outside of our gate and seeing how it's thriving in a lot of different Conditions locally, which has been really neat.
0: Yeah, it's it's so tremendous and and look I don't I don't know if the cameras or the uh, mics are picking up any of the we've got some kids uh, It sounds a little upset in the background and one of the other things happening with the organization and with the property is a uh, 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 Folk farm school for the little ones who from the community here get this really special experience of basically being outside all of the time that they're here um, experiencing the animals and the landscape, the plants, learning about different uh, plant, edible plants and herbs, and, mm-hmm. and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 wild. And of course, it's not exactly funny, but sometimes uh, you know we get to hear the kiddos uh, getting a little upset or whatever's <laughs> yeah. going on. And Miss Jess and the rest of the team do such a good job of helping helping the youngsters learn some of these emotional management skills and uh, sort of embodied. Uh, awareness skills Mm -hmm. and uh, as a parent I I really marvel at and and admire and respect the work that those teachers are doing with those kiddos and I know that it's just another way in which you guys have created a hub for the community here so you know not only are (laughs) these kiddos getting to experience this land and and ecology but of course their parents as they're coming and going each day also get mm-hmm. to have an experience yeah. that's perhaps a little different from their, you know, otherwise day-to-day reality. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's really amazing to me, Nick, the way you guys have layered in so many functions, right? To, to kind of borrow a permaculture idea of stacked functions. You've layered in so many functions to this, to this property yeah. and uh, to this area, this region and look like when when you're doing these installs on other properties like we did a season or two ago at yellow barn farm several yeah. of us got together and planted i don't know how many hundreds of trees and it was a great fun time there was a food truck and i think some music and you know it was yeah, a real yeah. it was a really like wonderful weekend experience for all of us who were there and we managed to help basically install a significant part of this Uh, alley cropping uh, agroforestry silvopasture system that that you've designed there and I wanted to ask you're you're throwing out some terms and I heard you um, you know describing the agroforestry silvopasture piece I, I want to ask you to describe the terraforming as well and also a term we haven't yet mentioned called STUN. I, I think nah, this is yeah. a really interesting way to cultivate <clears throat> certain, uh, certain plants in these systems. Definitely. So maybe you could tell us a bit more about what does terraforming mean and then what's the STUN method?
1: Yeah, totally. Which reminds me, I mean, that term came from Mark Shepard. so I think just just for context to explain like where we got the inspiration to use these models and where like the tele- terraforming and water management systems came from. And Mark Shepard is a farmer up in Wisconsin, and he was origi- one of Bill Mollison's original students in the 80 s.
0: And he Bill Mollison being the founder of the permaculture movement, right with the Exactly original yeah. literature
1: and all of that exactly yeah so you know Bill Mollison from my understanding collected a lot of understandings and learnings from different indigenous tribes all over the world and was really fascinated by traditional farming practices and started this movement where uh called permaculture uh, and i'm sure there's many, many more resources on that people could explore but um Mark Shepard was one of his original students and was really excited to expand the permaculture philosophy and build systems that were agriculturally focused and at scale that were profitable at scale and so mark Shepard wrote a book called restoration agriculture um, and i've had the opportunity to learn and, and uh, receive teaching from him and just utilizing this restoration ag model which the the, the first the beginning of that of using that model is really shaping the land to collect store and distribute all the moisture that falls on the property uh, and in wetter climates at times that means diverting water so there's not flooding or topsoil erosion and things like that but the terraforming concepts that we use really come from mark Shepard and the permaculture kind of framework in that as, sheet, as water is flowing down the hill, it can either be an erosive force or a force for good in that we need that moisture to grow the plants and the crops that we want to, to raise and cultivate. And so again, using this idea of key line design, mm-hmm. these are concepts that Bill Mollison and Mark Shepard really inspired by. So collecting and storing water high in the landscape and then slowly dispersing it outwards across the slope. So with the concept that water is usually Uh, Moving in wet valleys and so if we're able to collect and store water high We can distribute that water onto the dry ridges on the property and just create way more opportunity for cultivation basically and that really lays the groundwork so those are all really intensively designed systems and then dug either by hand or with machinery um so these small basins that we call contour swales like a, a ditch on the contour of the land that slows and spreads the moisture and then creates a location that we can plant perennial crops like trees and shrubs um and then mark Shepard came up with this concept called stun right sheer total utter neglect so this concept that we're not really babying anything that we're planting or growing here we're just witnessing watching observing what's thriving what's doing well And in a way, this has created a really wonderful opportunity for us when we began planting these thousand or so trees on contour. We had no idea if they would grow or succeed or not. And so we planted them very dense, like about a foot apart, assuming we would lose at least half the trees. And amazingly, in year one, we had lost less than 15% of them, which really shocked and stunned us, as well as the other folks in the area, especially other farmers that really discouraged me from practicing these techniques, thinking that would be a big expenditure of resources and not be fruitful. And what's amazing is that the trees have grown really well and set in motion a breeding program. So as the years go on, we'll be able to select and then breed and cultivate what does well here in these really intense, harsh, dry conditions. And then those crops will be what we use later to plant on other projects. And so creating this huge opportunity to develop agroforestry crops for drying and drought prone areas, which has been really neat too. I don't think agroforestry is a, a, it's not really utilized much in drier areas where trees don't grow as easily. And so we're using these terraforming techniques to create opportunity to grow many more trees that again, really anchor the ecosystem, create moist microclimates and all the other ecosystemic functional benefits that allow us to grow crops and livestock more easily in difficult conditions.
0: Yeah, that's really so interesting. You know, it's reminded me, I learned something um, when I was uh, interviewing Tom Chi uh, at One Ventures, and, and he's an, a remarkable technologist and uh, investor who is finding these technology opportunities to help restore coral reefs, to help oh, wow. on a massive scale replant parts of the uh, tropical rainforests around the world, and one of those plays is a a drone seed planting technology and i was asking him well what what are the success the germination the survival rates of the seeds you're putting in the ground and i i forget exactly what the numbers were they're actually also pretty high but he said and and by the way what are we comparing to as a baseline he said because in nature you know trees and plants are dropping huge quantities of seeds in general yeah and and only a small percentage of those is typically going to mature into a a, a big uh tree like this one what is this oh it's apple.
1: a crab apple grafted with apple yeah. and you
0: know and so okay interesting if we're looking to nature as the example um that that's quite quite uh quite different probably than when we're thinking about conventional agriculture yeah. and we're sort of pushing for that last percent of yield all the time and I'm, I'm just I'm struck because what happens in this stun method in these dry lands environments right is those trees and shrubs that do get established and do get going after a couple few years are so hardy yeah. they're they're essentially ready to tolerate uh, kind of anything get, that gets thrown at them, or so it seems. Yeah. And so this is also, I think, a really important strategy for resilience building in these uh, regions of the world and, and virtually all the world right now is at risk where we're anticipating greater extremes and weather patterns <laughs> and, and uh, climatic shifts and so on. And I, I guess I want to ask um, in that it, related to that, uh, what are you seeing in the way of policy conversations and even uh, some of the funders you're working with as these strategies and solutions being uh, specifically uh, apropos for uh, climate stabilization and dealing with things like uh, water uh, in time and carbon uh, sequestration and so on like is that a big part of your guys conversation
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, from our research, we're understanding that about 40% of the Earth's surface has been degraded by human influence. Mm-hmm. And so most of those areas are what Alan Savory would call brittle ecosystems, places that if, if degraded to a certain point, kind of start to roll towards desertification. And so there's many places on Earth that are facing the same crises that we are. And just with the industrialized food models that are so prevalent on earth right now, it's like food can be brought long distances to places that have already been desertified, but really understanding that by having local food everywhere people are, especially in desertifying places, we can really build huge resilience in our communities. And, and also understanding that the health of the land really is the health of a community. You know, when you really boil it down um, and in a way like our values as a culture on earth maybe have strayed away from that and valuing other things but really all natural resource comes from the health of the land and so in these practices we are growing food resiliently in really difficult conditions that were otherwise not seen as applicable for growing food and at the same time building resource in our communities uh, building skills by bringing other people onto the sites and projects to learn about it Um, yeah, there's just huge opportunity to implement these practices all over the world for for major benefit to society and humankind as we know it
0: yeah absolutely and now i'm all, i'm also reminded of our mutual friend and colleague john Liu, who, yeah, who helped establish the global uh, ecosystem restoration camp movement right and yep. i remember learning from him that the sinai peninsula you know that whole region um had a very different uh Gulf stream flow of air and moisture off of the Indian Ocean mm, yeah. and it was probably because of these human impacts of desertification that that all shifted so that it became even more extreme uh, in its uh, drought and uh, desert uh, situation. But the good news is there are efforts underway in places like Sinai and elsewhere nearby like in Egypt there's an ecosystem oh, yeah. restoration camp there that's doing extraordinary work of Uh, literally reforesting and greening the desert Uh, and so you know one of the things I'm really struck by uh, thinking about some of these marginal and and risk areas like we have here and then places that have already been so extremely desertified that it's a a matter of really bringing them back really restoring regenerating and healing those in a major way and I'm curious I, I know that so much of your your work and your focus is right here in this area and thank goodness right yeah Um, and may the world have a whole lot of nick d dominicos (laughs) and lots of other places Sure. but uh also how do you see yourself in time in the coming months and years and maybe decades um you know helping to expand and proliferate your work and knowledge and expertise into other regions of the world that might benefit from
1: that yeah that's a great question i mean for us we've caught some interest and have some potential projects in Ecuador, a potential project in Baja, California. And there's many places on earth that have been degraded and mostly by industrial culture. So we're just excited to see how that grows. And right now we're just stabilizing in our local communities and in our local county here in Boulder County. I mean, there's just so much to do right around us right now that it seems like that's what's captivating most of our focus. But in the years to come, we're really excited to start taking projects other places and involving local place-based cultures in the, in the um, work that we're doing and just really bring in, nurture and support communities to live in healthy, thriving ecosystems where their food is growing close by and especially lifting up and utilizing uh, bioregional food crops from the different areas that we want to work in. So. We'll see where it all goes, but we're, we're excited, and so more on that soon, I'd say.
0: Right on, that's great. Yeah, Nick. Well, and look, you've, you've uh, also really connected deeply to a lot of the indigenous people and indigenous cultures of this region. Yeah. And, and I'm so excited uh, to to hear from you uh, what what that process and that part of your adventure over the last few years has looked like. Yeah. And how has that Informed what you're up to. I know you had some really tremendous experiences in the Amazon and Peru. Yeah. Obviously not local here in Colorado, but but you've also uh, cultivated some very deep and beautiful relationships with indigenous elders and wisdom keepers and others uh, here right in this region. Can you share a bit with us about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. And for me, I think my path towards land stewardship really began when I was in South America and I left what I was doing in the United States, left a competitive skiing career that I was deeply involved in and sort of had an existential crisis and left and went to South America just to immerse in indigenous culture and learn about different medicine traditions and study and practice and interestingly enough what I found there were off-grid communities and some of them beginning to implement permaculture design practices. And I was just a kid at the time but it really left an impression on me. and so. After some years living and working around there, I came back up into the United States and really inspired by traditional indigenous ceremony of North America and especially Plains native culture. So Southwest Plains and then up, you know, these different tribes, um, Cheyenne, Arapaho, um, Apaches, different ones that used to roam these areas uh, in the in the recent past that we're living in now. And just seeing that their, their ceremonial culture and their Um, their understanding of elemental forces and how how life is these are just inherent patterns that that all of nature is is following with and so just learning about their techniques of prayer and like really technologies of prayer i would call it that have inspired Mm -hmm. how i approach all living things how i approach the land how i approach people and just these really fundamental and foundational understandings that help me navigate in this world today um and just this inspiration to want to be close to the land it's such a Mm. it's such a goes beyond values it's like a way of being it's a way of living it's a way of thinking that's just in respect and reciprocity with all of nature Um, and so then of course paying homage to these different tribes and communities as well and supporting them how we can Uh, we have a really cool food sovereignty project just beginning on the shoshone reservation up in uh, wind river And that's been really exciting to just support them beginning to grow their native foods again and to use livestock in like a more um, innovative way. Um, You know, not as much traditional for them, but using livestock to develop land that they can then garden and just be able to take care of themselves again, be able to rely on their own food sovereignty to support their tribal communities and everything that they do, which has been really beautiful to see. But it's just been such a deep part of, how we move how we live in life and so i'm really thankful for those relationships and getting to practice those traditions in ceremonial ways and it's been really fun to be able to bring that to the land and to our communities that we work in as well so absolutely wonderful
0: yeah yeah what 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 an amazing and rich experience and opportunity and you're helping suffuse some of that wisdom and knowledge into other parts of the community and culture here with those deep connections that you have with many of the indigenous communities. Yeah. Yeah. it's beautiful, Nick. Thanks, Amy. Let me, uh, let me remind our audience. This is the why on earth community podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. Today we're visiting with Nick DiDomenico, the founder of Elk Run Farm and the co-founder of Drylands agroecology research. You can find a lot more information about DAR, at dar.eco that's da Uh on social media you'll find nick and marissa and the rest of the team uh, putting out a lot of great posts at uh, at drylands agroecology and um, i want to also take a quick moment to thank a few of our partners we've got purium the organic uh f- superfoods company yeah we're enjoying some purium right now as a matter of fact some can't beat this and cocoa hydrate it's amazing and delicious <laughs> we've got a special partnership with purium so that anyone in our network or our audience can get a 50 dollar uh, discount on an initial purchase or 25 percent off whichever is a greater amount when you go to whyonearth.org purium And you're going to find a whole variety of uh, dried uh, organic superfoods basically coming from really well-managed and regenerative farms uh, in a variety of different locations. Waylay Waters, of course, uh, is one of our uh, social enterprises, regeneratively and biodynamically grown hemp-infused aromatherapy soaking salts, which I know a lot of us around here uh, enjoy and appreciate. I had one just the other day. I was feeling sore and tired and Mm. just needed to recuperate a little bit. Yep. yeah yeah waylaywaters.com of course gotta throw in a quick mention to uh my new book verity toss this uh epic visionary eco thriller in part because nick's actually in the story and uh <laughs> the characters brigitte sophia and her not really friend at first this guy leo and yeah this is probably a love story you know what's going to happen but they end up coming to elk run farm and uh, this is part of her experience of awakening and opening up to what's really possible, what's really going on right now in the world that many of us in our city lives, our industrial lives, our hyper-technology-oriented lives might not even realize, you know, what's really happening in the world right now. And so a big part of the story, Veriditas, uh, is revealing that sort of thing to you as a reader. So viriditasbook.com, Uh, if you'd like to learn more about that. And of course, uh, our other podcast episodes, we mentioned Tom Chi and John Liu. We've got a lot of other wonderful episodes for you. So be sure to check that out. whyonearth.org slash community dash podcast will get you there. And Nick, are there any other like web or URL resources on your end that we should mention?
1: Um, I think the main Instagram handle we use is elkrun.farm. So mostly Uh, just posting for this farm. And that's really a beautiful way to get to see what's happening on our pilot research project and demonstration site and cute photos of the kids and the ducklings and all kinds of fun stuff like that to inspire your gardening and homesteading efforts
0: yeah the and the ducklings are ultra cute (laughs)
1: um
0: this is uh so much fun nick and you know i we we could be talking for hours and hours and and we often do Mm -hmm. and, and i'm really excited too that our organizations are actually launching some collaborations to help bring even more uh, resources out to folks uh, that that hopefully can help in this global emerging regenerative movement. Mm, And uh, really grateful we have that that opportunity to collaborate. I want to ask, because you mentioned, and uh, we both grew up in Colorado, I think you're a true native. Uh, Are you a true
1: native? I grew up in Boulder, yeah. You
0: grew, yeah, yeah. And uh, the skiing thing. So, so you were deep in, in competitive skiing, and then uh, turned away from that and into some other things. Um, what's your relationship like with these mountains? And mm. and as we're recording, it's yeah. beautiful, kind of late summer, early autumn, and you know we're we're getting ready, anticipating there might be some snow on its way in the coming weeks. And, hey, hold on, now. You know, hey, not hey, quite. Hey, yeah, hey, we'll see. Not we'll quite see, yet, we'll <laughs> But uh, yeah, what you know? What's that like? That seasonality around here is obviously yeah. pretty significant, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, the mountains. You know, I've grown up along these these foothills here my whole life, and tried my best to make a way away from the mountains, but always mm-hmm. found myself back here. And for me, just being able to go up into the hills and pick medicines and be in nature and just feel the feel the the essence and the inspiration of what comes from the natural habitats has been so inspiring to me and just as homesteaders too it's just so important to be in rhythm with the seasons too you know right about now we're starting to collect our firewood and stack it you know we're starting to process our foods make our salsas and our jams and our chutneys for the years to come for the next year to come you know and putting away all of our food and preparing for the winter and in a way there's uh you know melancholy bittersweet feeling around that you know as the season begins to close but then also the the excitement around like a good long resting time in the winter which has been really nice for me too so for us it's just such an integral part of watching the seasons and just being staying connected to that and how our food culture really moves around the seasons. so it's been really cool
0: yeah yeah absolutely man yeah, it's been fun for me to witness some of the cyclicality, the seasonality around here. And yeah, in the winter months, it can get pretty pretty quiet and, and really tranquil. I mean, it's almost like a meditation retreat, <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. And in the summer months, I probably wouldn't describe it that way with uh-huh. all kinds of folks coming and going and events. And yeah, I mean, one of the other things we didn't talk about yet is the way in which Elk Run Farm has become a cultural hub for a variety of uh festivals like equinox and solstice celebrations and dance parties and all sorts of workshops that you guys are putting on and i really encourage folks if if you haven't yet to plug in and come and check out some of the workshop offerings that nick and his team have there's an amazing array of uh, knowledge sharing and uh, experiential learning available Mm, and uh, yeah and these dance parties are a lot of fun right man (laughs)
1: sure enough yeah i mean there's just really no way to talk about all the cultural stuff without mentioning marissa too my amazing partner life partner and uh co-founder of drylands agroecology research and i think it's worth mentioning you know the way i see it that what really initiated the founding of dar was her skills and my skills kind of combining you know being a really strong influence in the community, a dancer, performer, uh, event producer. She decided she wanted to throw a party to help bring funds and resource and attention to what we were doing, which at the time was planting trees on this property that now people can come back and see the plants that they planted. And it's really incredible to see that success that's coming from that. But just really seeing how community has fueled this entire project, the entire work of, of DAR, and like marissa would say just really embodying this feeling of joy and and living in positivity and really sharing that with the greater community so it's been amazing to have volunteer days once a week where everybody comes and has an amazing lunch afterwards good farm fresh food and just feeling that excitement you know we have offsite interns that come twice a week we have onsite interns that are training and learning how to do um, practice regenerative farming here and community has just been the the momentum the entire time and so for us like having parties uh, you know, here and again, once a quarter at most, really big, big wild parties and yeah. good time to let loose and to really just let go of the season behind us and to celebrate all the beauty that we get to live in. You know, the beautiful privilege that it is to live on land and to be able to share that with our communities. So, yeah. in that same way, the different ones that support us and fund our projects and also just come to lend a hand and the different volunteer uh things that you were talking about like the tree planting so if anybody's around boulder county next spring we're gonna do another large tree planting at yellow barn and then mm-hmm. a couple more plantings at private projects too so really involving the community to get behind this regenerative movement and, and see that that proliferation of these regenerative practices using community so it's been a really fun time for that
0: it's so wonderful nick yeah and i i love it and uh, you know i'm not much for going to these really big uh concerts or whatever anymore. I just, I'm a little, I I guess I've grown a little sensitive over the years, (laughs) but the the kinds of gatherings and celebrations and parties that occur here are just perfect. I mean, they're just so perfectly scaled, perfectly curated. And yeah, Marissa uh, obviously brings such a energy of of joy and, and beauty and creativity and cultural connection to the Mm. to the project and the property and i'm excited because we decided we would do a his and hers uh set of podcast episodes right so Um, we're not exactly sure which one's gonna drop first, but we are recording first with you, Nick. And so theoretically, I guess it might go in that sequence. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun for our audience, I think, to be able to hear from each of you, Mm, uh, your perspectives and offerings and highlights, you know, of what what you're holding, what you're stewarding, what you're creating and and what you're excited about. Yeah. Yeah, so just Nick, what a joy to have this opportunity to visit with you today. And, And before we sign out, sign off with our podcast episode and go into our behind the scenes segment which if you'd like to access you got to become an ambassador Um, we'll do a little behind the scenes piece and get into a Mm -hmm. few other threads but uh, before we sign off with our podcast episode i just want to invite you if there's anything else you'd like to say or share with our audience or generally you know about the work you're doing
1: yeah sure thanks a lot aaron i mean i think it's just important to share Through Drylands Agroecology Research, DAR, we really see this this land regeneration piece as the foundation, right? In the hopes of and the inspiration that Marissa and I have and all of our community members now in building this regenerative culture, seeing that we are mostly living in degraded landscapes. And so if we want to live in a thriving, resilient way, we really need to work on regenerating the landscapes that we're a part of first. Uh, And so then from there, Recognizing that by researching that, by doing active data collection and really documenting effectively how these processes are developing the land, we can then share that with other community members, other farmers, ranchers, and also share it to the greater community. And then from that, really recognizing that without, we we have to see that many cultures and marginalized communities have been placed on degraded ecosystems. And this is just one part of our culture that's kind of challenging to face at times, but recognizing that if we're not reintegrating these communities and supporting these communities and building regenerative systems, then we're, we're really not making a, an influence on culture in a, in a positive way. Mm. And so from there, educating people about that, educating people about the work on the land, the work in communities and sharing Different permaculture classes that we have here, different events and workshops, mindfulness events that we have on this property as well as Yellow Barn. So, those four pillars are really the main the main pillars of DAR, Drylands Agroecology Research, and the work that we're doing in our communities. And definitely excited to hear what Marissa has to say about uh, all this stuff too. The the cultural advocacy part portions and the education portions are more what she's focused on and involved in. And just through our teamwork and partnership, we've been able to just share a lot of this with the greater community. And so just excited to continue that work and to plant thousands more trees this spring and the years to come and see these regenerative patterns really grow and, and affect and influence culture in a really positive way where we live and, and outward into the world. So just really happy to be with you here. Thanks for honoring me in this way and getting to spend a little time in our, our magical forest garden. and talk a little bit. So just feeling thankful. nah. No.
0: Absolutely, Nick. Yep. Thank you, man. It's been wonderful chatting yeah. with you
1: today. Sure thing, bro.
2: The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code YONEarth. all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page.